it's April 22nd, 2021. This is Rook. He is an Iranian-American actor and comedian who has appeared in dozens of TV shows, and you might know him from Veep or Silicon Valley or Brooklyn Nine-Nine or his recurring role on the hit series Shameless. But recently, Peter Payam Bonifaz has been getting attention for his very funny online videos where he sends up Persian dads and the culture of the Persian family at home. Peter joins me for a feature interview about his current success and his journey from Iran to the UK to a Korean and Filipino community in LA where he found his voice and his home. A feature interview with Peter Bonifaz coming up. Plus, it's all Persian to us and more. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode number 104 of Rook. Welcome to those of you listening around the world in Toronto, in Toulouse, in Tehran, in Turin, in Toledo, Tabriz, Tulsa, Taipei, Tokyo, Tashkent, and Richmond Hill. Durud <laughs> Hope you're all doing okay. Hope you are Mizun. Hope you're ready for another edition of Rook. We are on an ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. We're doing the show coming to you on Spotify, on SoundCloud, Instagram, YouTube, uh, iTunes, CastBox, and Telegram. If you'd like to see some visuals with your Rook diet, switch over to YouTube right now. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and Persian, check us out on Telegram. Hello, the fabulous Keon. Hello, Gian. Thank you. Uh, hello. Hi. <laughs> Peter, Peter Bonifaz coming up. He happens to have been in a number of my favorite comedy shows in recent years. Like, I'm a huge fan of Veep, huge fan of Silicon Valley, uh, love what he does in Shameless. Mm. Um, but this Instagram channel, oh my God. did you see the dancing video that he's just put up? Oh, he, God, he's just video hilarious. Of him doing these Persian dances? Yes, yes, he's just the best. Very funny. And and yet, uh, of course, he, he does a send-up of a Persian dad, so I guess loosely based on his dad. I'm going to have to ask him about <laughs> based it. Based on all our dads. Based on all of our dads, <laughs> which is, you know, very funny, but... But his story as well is is quite a moving one. I mean, he's he's this comedic actor, but I've heard him talk about his life, and someone like me can really relate to what he went through coming to a new country, desperately trying to fit in when he first gets to the UK, then to the US. And a lot of what he's doing comedically is reflecting on the immigrant experience. Yeah. Uh, really interesting guy. Looking forward to having Peter join us from LA in just a few moments. Hello, Captain Reza. Hello, sir. Uh, hello, Groovy Shia. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Uh, 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 oh. Shai, you were, you were, did you, I mean, you're very, uh, you're, you've got a spring in your step today. Do you know what that means? Um, spring in my step. Yes. Well, that's the literal translation, I guess. But I mean, a spring in your step means that you seem happy, excited. You, uh, someone would say you got some action last night. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> for example, that would be a reason. But maybe you just had a lot of coffee or you, uh, yeah, I right know cool. yesterday was 420 or a couple of days ago. All right. <laughs> These yeah. lingering effects of. Uh, right. yeah. Actually, no, it has two reasons. First okay. of all is spring. The second one I, actually is that I'm reading a book. Oh. And uh, it's about a girl who has cancer, and honestly, it has a real serious effect on me. And I'm grateful that I I am healthy and oh, yeah. Wow. So I want wow, to appreciate sure. it. Turn that around, oh <laughs> Captain Reza. Bet you feel yeah. bad. You what are you reading? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, definitely not a book yeah. about a girl who's got cancer. I'd be depressed. Good for you, Shaya. <laughs> you got a positive. Which book is it? Uh, the fault in uh, in our e stars. In yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. that's a, a, a film as well. Right, yeah. it's, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a good Be film. Beautiful, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the very nice Shia, an inspirational <laughs> message. I think uh, yeah. we now probably have to end the show after that uh, <laughs> reflection on Saraton and uh, you know, cancer runs pretty deep in my family. Thanks. Now I'm thinking of all the people we've lost Aww. and. Yeah, no, no, but but the main reason is spring, actually. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Very, very believable. <laughs> hey, uh, so speaking of uh, the spring in our step in the coming days on Rook, Bahman Gobadi joins us on Monday, the great uh, Iranian film director, Kurdish uh, Iranian film director. This interview will be in Persian. I will be conducting this interview in version. <laughs> I can't wait for that. <laughs> it's gonna be uh, with English yeah. subtitles, uh, if you're tuning in and you don't speak Farsi. Or, so uh, that's coming up on Monday. Dr. Angie Sadiqi will be joining us in the coming days on Rook uh, on her wisdom and plant-based diets. Mm. And, of course, uh, speaking of food, Piaz Miaz will also be joining us in the, the coming days. Uh, he, the... Um, the, the sensational young chef uh, from uh, Vancouver who was sort of the entrepreneur guy and now has, uh, based on his lifetime love of cuisine and his interest in cooking, has created this brand called uh, Piaz Miaz. Speaking so, of cooking and eating, how's your intermittent fasting that going? My intermittent, <laughs> my intermittent fasting, actually inspired by Piaz Miaz because he does... Uh, let me, uh, you know, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. But but no, listen, here's the headline. First of all, the app. I'm still stuck with this. So I, I just to catch people up, if you weren't listening on Monday, I started this intermittent fasting thing, project, diet. I don't even know what you call it. But it's the idea that you eat as much as you want with impunity for eight hours, and then you take 16 hours of fasting, mm. much like Ramadan, yeah. but on a different schedule. Right, mm -hmm. so I I stop eating around eight thirty at night and start again the next day around twelve thirty. Now, so then I signed up for this app, which, as I was explaining on Monday, is is just way too enthusiastic. And by the way, I have tried. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't deleted it yet, but I have tried everything to get this thing to to shut up, to stop <laughs> being so excited. First of all, I mean, you know, it's like it's worse than Clubhouse. Every 10 minutes or so it's telling you know it pops up on my phone you know you're still fasting how's it going uh you know you're not a cactus you need water like it keeps but the voice i hear is like billy crystal in saturday it's like how are you you know <laughs> like a campy actor you know uh, you can't eat you know you know and so it's constantly but anyway that's 
I'm dealing with that. That's the, an emotional mm-hmm. impact of you know this relationship. I mean, I have. I'm spending more time with this app, communicating with this app than anybody in my life. You know, this is like become my companion. I mean, Oogie is jealous of the amount of time I'm spending with this app. You know, talking to me and I, and I say thank you. Yes, I appreciate it. Oh. Um, but there's another thing. There's another thing too, which is that I hadn't. I don't even know how to delicately say this. See, I didn't. I hadn't thought about what happens is, in lieu of not eating. Uh, I mean, in lieu of eating. Uh, okay you uh, are required to drink water. I mean, drinking water is, everybody says, is the thing to do. And I'm looking at you. I don't know why I'm looking at you I, because companion you is basically my bring in a bathtub every day to the <laughs> studio and companion. then drink from it. But here's the thing I never, my body is not used to drinking this much water. And so I don't have a plan for the evacuation of the water. I I, I mean, I, I, can, is Jisha bad where we can say Jish, no, right? I mean, it is a constant, I, I feel like a 90-year-old man. Like I am like, it's, it's just at this point I drink and then I have to run to the bathroom welcome to my world well, what is what's the plan you with this like this going. is this is, it's horrible it's a disaster mm-hmm. i don't know i honestly i mean yesterday I, i'll tell you, shia was here we'd pre-taped an interview and it with a, a very wonderful gentleman named barmaka talikani he's a he works for nasa he's an wow. important project manager he's building a lunar crane for NASA. oh my god <laughs> and we're into the inter- we're just starting the interview and like this guy's, you know, he's on borrowed time. We're borrowing him from NASA for him to come on Rook. And I say, uh, Barmack John, I'm sorry, I have to stop the interview. And he's like, what, 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 uh, what's happening? You know, is there something technically wrong? He's a NASA guy, right? Is the spaceship working? You know, I'm like, I, I have to go and jeesh. Did yeah. you actually say that to well, him? Well, I did. I, well, no, I said, excuse me for a minute. I'll be Pardon back. Pardon me. Then I came back and I saw that he was confused. And I said, well, you know, I, I just started this intermittent fasting. <laughs> and now I have to go to the bathroom all the time. <laughs> and he was really, to be honest, not impressed. Like he was like, mm-hmm. well, okay then. So I don't know. What do you do? I just, I, exactly what you said. I go to the bathroom often. Like while I was but talking to this guy yesterday because he's NASA, I was thinking about astronauts and how they must have like a pouch oh. or something oh. that they don't have to go. They Did you don't. ask him? You should No, have. I mean, but I really, I, I don't, this is not doable. I can't, I'm, I'm hoping my system gets, so it never gets better. Uh, because you, my, I'm you, hoping my system gets used, used to, to this, so yeah. I don't have to keep going to the yeah, bathroom. Yeah, it does adjust a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> anyway, sorry everybody, but uh, Kiana asked, so there's your answer. That's how the intermittent I mean, diet is going. Or int- intermittent fasting. I didn't ask about his juice schedule. <laughs> I'm like, it's like me and Oogie. You know, I juice more than my dog now. You know, we go together. So he takes you out now. <laughs> My apologies uh, to those of you who've tuned in, uh, expecting an erudite <laughs> conversation about uh, uh, Persian culture. Um, <clears throat> my apologies to Peter Bonifaz, who's uh, uh, who's wondering if he should stay on the come on the show. Uh, by the way, speaking of erudite conversations, I'm thrilled with. Uh, it's a very popular episode now. After a couple of days, there's thousands of uh, streams of, of our Monday show with Richard Foltz. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Richard Foltz. Our, it was titled Iranians Before the Time of Islam. So Richard joined us. He's a, an author, a professor who specializes in ancient Iranian history and the history of Iranian civilization. 
we had a really interesting conversation, uh, I think. Uh, I mean, he was fascinating uh, about who Iranians were, what Iran was, uh, how much uh, we can, what are the threads of continuity from that period uh, pre-1400 years ago, going back 2,500 years ago to today for us as Persians. And because of that conversation and all the side discussions that it fostered, that it led to, we've decided that tomorrow on Clubhouse, we'll take up this idea, this question. And the the topic for tomorrow is, can we really take credit for ancient Persian history? This is the part mm. where it intersects with the something we often talk about on Rook, which is that the, the defense, uh, the reflexive defense for a lot of Iranians when you say something negative about contemporary Iranian history or contemporary Iranian actions is to say, yeah, but, you know, we invented the gramophone or whatever the frig, you know, <laughs> yeah. that we, we did this 2,500 years ago. We were a, a great civilization, et cetera. Uh, and indeed, Richard Foltz talked about Western civilization being predicated mm. upon Persian civilization, but as a mirror of it, but can we take credit for that? 2,000 years later, just because we are Iranian in our DNA. Mm. So we'll do that tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern time on Clubhouse. If you're not with us on Clubhouse already, find the app on your iPhone. If you do have an iPhone, if you don't, sorry about that for now. It's, it seems like it's only on Apple products. But join us on uh, Clubhouse and go to Rook, the Rook Media uh, Club. Join in the Rook Media Club. Uh, you, or you can just follow me and I'll let you know. 4 p.m. tomorrow is when we're doing that. You'll be there, right, Keon? Yes, of course. Reza, will you be there? Of course. Of course, of course Reza? <laughs> of course. Okay. We'll yep. take, take you at your word. No, I was there last time. You were there. Yeah. You were there for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, ancient uh, Persian history, we have a, a new edition of It's All Persian to Us yeah, coming up. Yes. Yeah. And it's, any hints on what we're it's, dealing this with? This one is like medical. It's related in the medical field. Oh. It's like one of the greatest contributions by a Persian. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you. We look forward to that. We'll kind of come right back with It's All Persian to Us with the fabulous Keon, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shia. Let's get to our feature guest today. Uh, so my guest today is an actor, a comedian, an improviser, uh, who's perhaps best known for his recurring role as Fad Hod in the hit dramatic comedy series Shameless. He's also the man behind an Instagram channel with some very funny short videos about growing up Iranian in the United States, and in particular, dealing with a Persian dad. The boon and the burden of a Persian dad. Take a listen to this. I want to be a basketball player when I grow up. Chichi, basketball, nasrez, and Okay. Dad, Santa Claus brought me a new PlayStation for Christmas. Nah, Papa, Santa Claus kid again. Man, خودم رفتم Target to Safeway دادم. Hot to study Santa Claus. Dad, I want to be a singer when I grow up. Chichi, singer? O kudum seda? Emkan nader azizam? Tu ke sadat masa ajir polisa? Dad, my goldfish Sammy died. Khob, afarin koshtish dige. Bet nagoftam besh kaza nader kada. Dad, I want to be an actor when I grow up. Chichi, actor? Nakhir azam. Emkan nader. هم زیادی قطعت کتاست هم یه دماغ داری مثل اوقا اوکی؟ تو فقط درسته بخون 
the very funny stylings of Peter Payom Bonifaz doing an impression of the son and the father in a Persian diaspora household. Peter is an Iranian-American actor and comedian who was born in Tehran shortly after the 1979 revolution. In the mid-80s, his family immigrated first to the UK, then to the US, where he would end up growing up in the greater Los Angeles area. And getting an MBA, he says he never uses from California Lutheran University. Peter made his focus being a performer and has studied under legendary improvisers and appeared in a long list of films and TV shows. He got his first on-screen role in 2005 when he was cast as Drake Zuba in the dramatic short film Delusive Dreams. He has since then appeared in TV shows such as Veep, Perry Mason, Silicon Valley, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Lethal Weapon, not to mention his recurring role on the hit series Shameless. During the pandemic, Peter has transformed his Instagram page into a portal of funny stories and observations by growing up Persian, and particularly about Iranian dads. For that, he has gained a big following, and right now, Peter Bonifaz joins me from Los Angeles today. Hello, sir. Hello. Hello, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Very nice to have you on the program. You have become every Persian parent's dream, a comedic actor. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm what every Persian parent wants for their child. <laughs> a guy making videos on TikTok and Instagram. Guy, guy, yeah. In a very difficult business uh, that's extremely cyclical. It's a uh, thank you for uh, having me. It's a real pleasure. And thank you for Wonderful introduction. It's a pleasure. And I, and I should not actually, uh, through my joke there, minimize what you've done as an actor because you, uh, frankly, having a lot of friends who are actors, you're one of the most prolific I know in terms of all of that you've done in the last decade or say, or 15 years or so. Uh, let me start with that very funny clip, though, that we just heard in the, in the intro, Peter. Your, your Instagram page has... Um, I mean, it's been on fire with these videos you make. There are, I guess, fringe benefits of how a pandemic has actually fueled some careers. So the story is that you were unable to do a lot of gigs naturally because of COVID. So, so you figured, why not make some fun videos? I mean, yeah, the, you know, the entire industry, the entertainment industry just came to a screeching halt here in, in, in the U.S. In Los Angeles, one of the biggest industries here is the film industry, and it just came to a complete halt there was no production there was no auditions i'm sitting home really just anxious about the pandemic like alone because you know i'm not seeing anybody and then so i just kind of started doing videos only to distract myself from all this and just sort of had to have some kind of creative outlet um i had no intention of really i don't know like it becoming a thing it's just sort of i was just doing it to alleviate my own anxiety at the time this idea of the two characters where you edit one one going to the next and having this dialogue uh the woman who was sending up trump that uh very funny uh, uh comedian that woman i feel like she was at the forefront of that it seems like a pretty new idea but something that's really been a big one where, where did the idea of poking fun at at the stereotypical persian dad using a son dad uh combination come from um, I, I guess I had had done sort of the forward camera facing uh, sort of uh, videos with the dad where um, the dad's just sort of talking it, at the camera or all right off camera. Um, I got to a point where I felt like it would be easier if the, the dad was directly interacting with someone. 
and I sort of thought about uh, my own upbringing when it was like sort of I would be speaking to my dad pretty much in English and he would kind of respond in Farsi. Um, and I just thought that was fun to try. And it felt like it was easy enough if I just kind of edited it right. Um, also, I had no choice because I wasn't, again, I wasn't really like allowed, we weren't allowed to see anybody. Right, so right. I couldn't have another actor there. So it's like, I kind of had to play. Was the data character that you've had before this? I mean, it was, have you, no. it's just a new thing. My favorite part of the my favorite part is that they basically the son and the dad like it's just you like you look exactly the same uh, you know the dad just wears a, a shawl you know or like a cardigan but it works like we see the dad and we see the son but there's like really you don't try and look like an older guy and a younger guy or anything you know you know i think when you're doing like a little 40 second 50 second clip i think like to me it almost gets a little distracting if the the person went out of their way to to sort of a like too much of like makeup or like you know like or too much uh, right. you know like ma like mask or or wigs or stuff. I just feel like it's a little distracting, right. and I and I feel like if it's funny and interesting and if there's some type of realism to it, the the audience will forego the fact that you're clearly not an older person. You know, I, I think they'll just <laughs> right. sort of buy into that, right. and I think that only happens sort of with this type of platform like videos on Instagram and TikTok and social media. Because it's so fast, the audience is willing to go there with you because they know they don't have to stretch their imagination too far. As opposed to a film, you know, if I was to play my dad in a film, halfway through it, it's kind of like the answer, all right, we're kind of over this. Right. I'm done having to use my imagination. So that's kind of the way I felt about that. You're um, so right. I've, I've never thought about that until this moment, which is that if you're throwing up a 30-second video, um, and, and a fast cut one back and forth. I'm going to spend the first 15, 20 seconds going, what's that white beard? Okay. Who is he? What I'm, I'm going to, if, if you're in full makeup or if you're developing these characters and visually, it makes so much more sense to just, um, depend on the comedy itself and the, and the humor of the dialogue. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, and, and another thing is because they're so quick, my idea is I don't want the audience to have any questions, a single question off top of who's what, what's happening, what's the joke. <laughs> right. So a lot of times I kind of explain in the description to what it is that I'm going for. So once the audience has read that, then I feel like at that point, the audience for the most part shouldn't have any questions off top. So you, you, you said the element of realism and the comedy in it obviously is partly because especially as Iranians but even a non-Iranian would get that the, that you're sending up something that has some truth to it so the dad in your videos uh, tends to never quite be pleased with what the, what the son is up to is is that the way we see Iranian parents I mean that's the way I certainly see uh, Iranian parents you know I mean um, I I think it obviously again in the videos it's it's I'm exaggerating for the sake of just you know for comedic purposes but I do think that Iranian parents have a very high expectation out of their children, and it's kind of just a part of our culture. Right. Um, I can only imagine what the expectation was on my parents and what the expectation was on on my parents' parents, you know, from their folks. Like, I, I feel like these are sort of tangible assets to our to our culture as as long as they help. And once they hurt, they're no longer of use to us. And I, I would love to see our culture evolve away from, right. from at least the extremities of it. 
Like, I think it's important to hold up your children to a high standard for themselves, but to put a, a level of pressure on them where it produces anxiety and feelings yes. of not being good enough, I, I, that can't help anybody. Yeah, the but nothing, I cut you off. I'm sorry. The, the, no, it's okay. The, the, the nothing's ever good enough can can certainly be unhelpful uh, right. <laughs> from from Persian parents. But <laughs> yeah, but and I, and I speak from experience, uh, understanding the dad in your videos. I, I mean, I know that we're going to get into your story and and how you evolved into this into the work that you do. And I know that your dad, your parents have long come to terms with, or even ever are very supportive of your career now but still when your dad when you start making these videos for example this year uh, what what did your dad first say when he saw these videos you, you know i've really gone through the journey with my dad with my career so like he's got to a point where like he doesn't question what i'm doing he understands that like he's finally got to a point where he knows what i'm doing because i put in the work our families are all very results oriented uh, they want to see the results of it. Right. Results is money, and the results is sort of movement in the career. So he saw both, and he was like, okay, now I get it. Once you got that State Farm commercial, he knew. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean... You that, had that for two that, years, that right? I mean, certainly you, helped. Yeah, yeah. That certainly helped. Um, again, yeah, once he saw the money coming, and then he's like, once I'm, you know, I'm paying my mortgage, and like once I'm just, you know, living my life, and I'm investing and doing all that, then he's like, okay, now it makes sense. Again, sort of the example of results-oriented. But he loved the videos. He, he never took them personally. He always laughed it off. Him and I, you know, growing up, we had an awkward relationship because of some of the very things that I do I, I, in my video, what are happening in my videos. But luckily now, just we've come to a certain place in our relationship of understanding. I'm empathetic towards how he was raised and what that caused him to be like. And then he's more understanding and flexible about sort of, you know, who I am and, and, uh, and how I live my life. Mm. And now we have a wonderful relationship. So, um, there's no element of Hamsaya Hachimigan. What, what, what are the neighbors going to think when they see your, your impression of a father? They're going to think it's me. And that's all done with. He's, he's past that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And, and, and by the way, I should just mention for the audience that I didn't just pull out the State, state Farm out of anywhere. There's a story where you um, you did this State Farm commercial that was supposed to air for like 13 weeks or something. It ends up airing for two years. And you get yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. you get a check for that each month. And so you end up showing one of those checks to your dad who's been going, why are you doing this business? And, and kind of goes, oh, okay, I, 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 get, mm-hmm. I get it now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think my dad was kind of shocked of the potential. Right. You know, and, you know, he's been in finance his whole life. So like numbers. So it was luckily it was something substantial enough where he was like, oh, wait a fucking minute. This is (laughs) this is something, you know, the thing is he had I think he felt like I had talent, but he didn't know. I think he had no way of putting it into context, Mm -hmm. knowing what's enough to be successful, what's not enough to be successful. His big thing was like, why would somebody want to see like any, a little Iranian dude, you know, like, (laughs) and and it was, again, it it was always, and I, and he's not totally wrong. He's not totally wrong. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate now. I really appreciate how honest he was because this business will tear your ass apart if you're not ready to hear it. And so I went into the business really just already humbled, you know, so I was, I was able to never get too high and never get too low. So that helped me a lot 
There's um, another video yeah. where the kid wants to go out on a Friday night and, and the Persian dad ends up uh, asking like a shopping list of questions, some of which have very little relevance to, to the idea of whether the kid should go out or not. You, you posted this just last month and it, and it has tens of thousands of views on it. Does this come from personal experience? You know, that one is one of those where it's like I took it from the culture uh, more and then sort of just like had my dad play that character that was sort of like this sort of comedic vehicle that's coming through. My parents were like that to an extent, but not, but not as much as is presented in that video. <laughs> but I have a lot of friends, you know, I especially have a friend who's this was kind of inspired by his dad because he would literally ask a million questions. I think his logic was like, okay, you're about to leave. I probably won't see you till tomorrow because I'm going to go to sleep by the time you come home. So let me ask a few questions that I need answered for tomorrow. So he would be like, kind of like, right. I need an answer for the next week. Yeah. Let right, me, let right. me, let me play this for people. So they get an idea of it. This is P Peter Bonifaz. Take a listen. I'm going out. Eh? To the movies. Baki with my friend Steve. Chandafari. Three of us. When the key Mike. Kunash Kujas down the street. Nani Babachikara. His mom's a real estate broker and his dad's a frenzy accountant. As in Bachi Ashkadas? I don't understand the context. Kiro and the Gimikuna. Mike. Mashini Seifi Dare. It's a Mazda SUV. Kemir Sikuna. Like in three hours. Mashub Nemikorike. No. Sigar Nemikashike. No, it's not 1960. No, and please stop calling it marijuana. Yes, and she asked me every single one of these same questions. No, that has nothing to do with anything. It's Friday night. That's next week. Yes. That's a very irrelevant question, but yes. In my car. No, but I'm getting a really big headache from these questions. Okay, have fun. <laughs> That's Peter Payom Bonifaz from his Instagram channel playing both the Persian son and the father. Man, I love that one. I, I love that, the, that it ends with the dad saying, okay, have fun <laughs> you know, after the, the third degree. And uh, the question about are these... Uh, are these bad guys that uh, are, you know, is this uh, that you're going to hang with it? You go, Dad, I don't understand the context. Or the son says, uh, it's great writing, man. I really appreciate that. Oh, no, I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Thank you. So um, let's get into your story. You're, you're, sure. you, you were born in Iran. You're, uh, <laughs> I mean, you're a real child of the revolution. I, I guess, you know, in other words, there was a revolution and your parents said, okay, let's have a kid. Uh, and, and you were named Payam somehow because of the revolution? You know, I, it's kind of like a two-part story. Uh, one is that I was supposed to be, apparently I was supposed to be born uh, as, a, as a girl. And the doctors were sure of it. And I don't know how they were sure of it back then, but apparently they were sure of it. And my grandma, bless her soul, on my dad's side, she had had a dream that my grandfather, who had already passed, I'd never met, he, was, he passed before I was born, was holding a boy and told my grandma in that dream that it's going to be a boy. That, that that it's going to be a boy and she kept telling everyone's going to be a boy and my dad was like grandma like i'm a mom the doctors are saying it's going to be a girl so when i was born a boy she was like see i told you i told you apparently there's a story she went around to the whole hospital and gave everybody like <laughs> like coins or whatever or like she was just so happy so that sort of message from my grandpa coupled with the uh -huh. fact that my family felt very hopeful 
after the revolution, and as they did a lot of Iranians, like they felt like, okay, there's going to be real change in Iran because they were sick of having a, a king in place. They wanted a democracy, mm -hmm. and that's what the Islamic Revolution promised—a democracy, a, a pure, you know, democracy. And so, I think that coupled with, you know, my grandma's dream, I made inspired them to be sort of creative and like, and not that Payam Payam is a very creative name, but I guess creative in, in reasoning for why they named me that it means message basically right it means message yeah. right uh and and yet your your parents like most other folks soon find out that the the promise of the revolution was not anything it was cracked up to be and that they are living not in a democracy but in a brutal theocracy uh now at war with iraq uh I'm going to ask you what it was like to be in the UK and the US after that, but do, do you have actually memories of, I know you were very small, but being a kid in Iran at that time? I remember the war. That's the main thing I remember. And I remember the war very, very vividly. Um, I I was lucky I didn't have anybody in my family that, that went to war, uh, Many because a lot of people died, uh, unfortunately not. And I remember that we'd be, uh, I'd be sitting, let's say, in, in the living room playing with my toys, and suddenly whatever program you were listening to or uh, whatever thing on TV you're watching would suddenly cut to red alert. And basically when that would happen is you would get away from the windows and you would try to go into the safest place. Now, we, we were in an apartment complex, and it was known as Ekpaton in, in the area in, in Tehran. And we had a cellar, and everybody from the apartment complex would go in the cellar, and basically, we would just wait till the bomb raids are over. And it's like, the way I would always describe bombs, the way bombs feel, is like picture fireworks, mm. but instead of just like the noise that moves you, it, it's the physical. Wow. The, there is a physical energy to these things where it's like you feel it in your body. And I remember... I remember it like it was yesterday. Literally, I remember the sound like it was yesterday. Mm. Um, and uh, at some point, these raids were happening. Uh, we were being forced to go and sort of like in, in the cellar for these raids like three, four times a week. And then I think that was pretty much when my mom's like, right, we can't live like this. Like, we just can't live like this. You, um, you were in Tehran, right? We are in Tehran, yeah. So uh, that was bearing the brunt of it because it was obviously the capital. You know, it's so interesting when when an entire country or two countries, uh, uh, Iran and Iraq, uh, go through this for eight years uh, and millions of people are involved in it and over a million people die, it, it, it becomes this kind of understood part of our history where we go well yeah there was a war and everyone lived through it and and you focus on those the the people who died and tragically a lot of kids were sent to the front lines you know who who died and uh, were told that they were going to become martyrs or something you know mm -hmm. um we don't focus a lot on on the impact it, it would have on on those who lived through it especially like little kids like when i heard you talk about on another program at some point you had talked about the implications of this when you end up moving to the UK in 1986. You're a kid, you're four or five years old, um, and it turns out you have pretty bad PTSD from mm -hmm. the Iran-Iraq war. Can you mm -hmm. can you talk about how that expressed itself? My mom said that she noticed I was having, um, like I would be constantly having nightmares where I'd wake up screaming. She was like, this isn't normal. She said that I had such excessive 
separation anxiety from her that if she, when she would go to the bathroom, I would sit behind the door and wait for her to come out. Mm-hmm. She just said uh, he was, he was just scared all the time. And so took me to, you know, I, I'm luckily I had a mom that even at that time, mental health awareness for, for children wasn't a thing, mental health awareness. And in our culture, unfortunately it wasn't for in general, wasn't a thing. Yeah. It's getting a little better now, but, um, still a bit, but taboo. I had a, still a bit taboo a little bit. now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, fortunately, but my mom luckily was open enough at that time. She said, okay, she took me to child therapist. Child therapist, okay, he's dealing with PTSD from whatever he's seen, not just the experience of the war, but the experience of sort of escaping Iran, the experience of, you know, because I had been separated now from my father, because my father came to the US first to sort of establish stuff while me and my mom and my brother were trying to come here th- through England uh, after we left Iran. So I didn't see, end up seeing him for two years. So I think all that uh, was causing these issues. Now, the, luck, the beautiful thing about being a kid is when those things, those, those stressors that were causing my, my issues were away from me, I was able to heal. Hmm. I'm sure there are some issues, there were some residual problems that existed that probably still exist to this day. But I went from being a scared little boy to a very, very happy, happy boy living in England. Hmm. I was very happy. You know, I, it... And a lot of that, I think, has to do with just being being a child. And then, you, luckily, we moved in with my aunt there, who was already established there. She had lived there for decades, and I was able to go into sort of a life of normalcy. I wasn't afraid of bombs. I wasn't afraid of everything. I was in England. Uh, I, I mean, the first day I got there, my uncle took me to a store called Hamley's, which is like a five-story uh, toy store. <laughs> and I, my, he says that I was walking down the aisles, like just crying, looking at all these toys. I'd, I'd never even seen a toy store before in my life. There's, right. They didn't really have toy stores like that. And so going in that environment, uh, it really helped me to heal those fears, you know? Yeah. By the way, when your dad goes to the States first and you don't see him for a couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um how did how did that affect you? I have a, I have an interesting similar story where my dad uh, I, I was I was growing up in England and the decision was made by the seventies like uh, that, this was before the revolution for me mm-hmm. uh, I was a little kid and and my parents had thought that they were going to go back to Iran and then it's like no we're not going to do that we're going to go to Canada you know for uh right. for, for a better sort of life sort of thing and my dad came here first came to Canada for you know for about a year before we moved and uh you know people forget that at that time well up until you know 10 15 years ago there was no there's no zoom or FaceTime or anything like that. I mean, so you don't, yeah, I mean, I would talk to my dad maybe once a week on the phone, but I never, I would never see him. And I remember being so scared. I don't know where I got this from. I wrote about this once in a book that about being so scared that when I would arrive in Canada, my dad would be really different. And for me, that was, he would have this big beard (laughs) I don't know why I assigned the beard to mean that he was evil or something, but I, but you know, it was, it was so, I don't know, uh, 
heartwarming or sort of um, it, it you know, comforting when I finally saw him, and it was just my dad, you know, and because I because I had just built up this big fear of who he was going to be, you know, in this new place. Um, did you go through any of that? You know, it was very awkward when I first came here and saw my dad again. Uh, even though it was my dad not seeing him in two years, two years to a kid is a long time. Yeah. You know, since kids are so in the moment, time takes much longer. I felt detached from him in a certain way. I was so happy to see him, but I felt detached from him in a strange way. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't happy when I first came here. Uh, when I first came here, I was very anxious. That transition was very strange for me. Well, you also, um, you, you're also like a, suddenly you're in California, you're six years old, right. and, and you're an Iranian kid with a Cockney English accent, right? Right, right. <laughs> so right. you're dealing with a lot. You know, my family, can't, when we came here, we had to start literally from the ground up again. So my family had nothing. Like, and we lived in, at the time, it was a very poor area. And, uh, you know, right now is significantly more gentrified and it's it's different now but at the time we lived in this just um old small apartment complex i remember the first time i i i walked into our new apartment i was like what the hell because we lived very differently in europe mm -hmm. and uh and i lived also differently in england so so moving to yeah. to the u.s felt like a downgrade for you as a kid who doesn't have the context for it right Absolutely. Uh -huh. Without the context, without understanding w why it was the way it was, that, that we had to sacrifice things, had to fight, uh, sacrifice a certain way of life in order to get here and to be able to make it here. I didn't really understand that. And you probably uh, thought America was going to be the land of plenty and you're going to have some glamorous, you know, uh, pool or something, or, right? I, I always feel stupid saying this, but I honestly... Honestly, in my kid brain, thought that the streets were paved with gold. Like so I had heard something like that before, and I thought there is so much money in this country. Everybody's rich. There's no poor people. Um, everyone's like a celebrity. <laughs> and I went there, and we lived on the north side of Canoga Park, off Sadakoy. And I was like, "Wait a minute, this is nothing like." Again, these days that area is very different, hmm. but at this time, I was heartbroken because of that. It's a, it's, it felt like an unfulfilled promise. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's a funny, how long did it take you to lose your accent? I think, pro honestly, I think like a year or something. I mean, again, it's like when you're a kid, it's just so much easier. Transition yeah. is easier. I mean, it's hard at first, but to get to that, to, to get to the place you need to is easier. And I was lucky because I was raised in a neighborhood where... We were a neighborhood of immigrants. It was me and majority uh, Mexican, El Salvadorian, and a Filipino. We were all living the same kind of life. Yeah. But I get that, by the way. I mean, you had a good experience in England. I didn't have a bad one. But when we first moved to Toronto, we also moved to a, a kind of a, a, an area that was very, very um, full of first-generation immigrants. Uh, and my, mm -hmm. my friends were like a black kid and a Pakistani kid. And, and it just felt so emancipating to me. I felt like, oh, this is, I found my community. Then we moved to this suburb, <laughs> this very white conservative suburb. And I experienced all the things about being a, an ethnic kid there. But, but uh, I, I totally get that. But it's a funny thing about 
wanting to lose your accent as a kid because um, I also did everything I could to, to lose my English accent. And I was eight years old. You were six. It, little, little did I know how cool it would be to have an, <laughs> an English accent. I mean, if you had a Cockney accent now, that would be part of your, you'd be like the Omi Jalili. That'd be part of your gig, you know? It'd be sort of like, uh, oh, it's the Cockney guy, you know? Uh, but you're as a kid, you just want to lose it. I remember being in an elevator and some lady talking to me and my sister and me answering and her saying, oh I love your little British accent and me thinking I just want to lose this thing I don't want to be different I don't I already have all these other things about me that are different um I was desperate you know absolutely absolutely I I I didn't I was not interested in being different at all I just wanted to fit in you know I would literally at the time I this is like in 1990 I came in 89 and around 1990, I believe, was when Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas came out. And that was a hit. And I literally, I didn't understand what a New York, uh, you know, sort of dialogue was. I didn't, so I was like, okay, these men, these, these guys, talk, this is how Americans talk. Okay. So I watched that movie a lot. And it, 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 at the time, I was also like, in, I didn't know it at the time, but I, I was really inspired by Robert De Niro, too. I thought, man, this guy's really cool. This guy is just like... right familiar Iranian characteristics to him and which I realized later you know Italians and Iranians and just pretty much any all immigrant cultures have these similarities um and uh I, I didn't realize it at the time I didn't really have the context but so again I would use anything I could to be able to learn how to talk like an American but more than anything after a while I wanted to talk like my like homies on the street like the people from my neighborhood so like those are the ones who really I learned LA culture from. I love this part. It's it's such a curious part of your journey that you end up going to Los Angeles, which certainly at that time, I mean, maybe now it's been displaced by Toronto or something, but it it was certainly the epicenter of diaspora Iranians at the time. But you Mm -hmm. don't move into the Persian community area. You're not a Westwood kid. You you guys go where there are very few Persians. And as you say, you're growing up with these Mexicans and Filipinos, and you take comfort among being with these other immigrants. And I, I, I think that's quite beautiful and sometimes in the Persian community as you will know you know um, Iranians sometimes like to see themselves as different from other immigrants or you know uh, don't compare us to uh, something or other so uh, the fact that you're this kid you, you don't know all of that you're feeling this commonality with a Mexican kid with a Filipino kid who's going through probably some of the same things you are trying to navigate being in America trying to figure out how to speak with their accent or whatever trying to figure out how to make come to terms with their name is a little different from other people's or whatever. Um, can you speak to that? The identity that you felt with these other kids, despite the fact that one of them comes from Manila or Mexico city. I mean, they accepted me, you know, they, when I first came and I came and I remember walking around my neighborhood and sort of meeting people and stuff. And then everyone's like, why you talk like this? Where are you from? I was like, I'm from Iran. And I just came from London. They had never met anyone like me, but they knew that I wasn't born here that I was similar to them because of that. So they treated me the same. They would poke fun at me um, about where I'm from and stuff like that. But I felt accepted by them. So it, it was, I, I made fun of them back and, and this is kind of how we were able to like form a connection. You know, they didn't try to bully me or, any, or pick on me and um, I'll forever be grateful 
to the people in that neighborhood. And I'll always be grateful to Mexican and El Salvadorian and, and Filipino folks and, and black folks for really taking me in. And I, they did. I hear you. I hear you. I really do. You know, when you talked about arriving in your apartment and you're kind of like, what is this compared to the way you had been living in Iran? That's what you're experiencing as a kid. But you're also observing what your parents are experiencing. And your dad had been the executive vice president of Chase Manhattan Bank in Iran. Yeah. By, by the time your family is in the States, you know, your parents are trying to make ends meet and build everything back from scratch. What was it like watching your dad go through that? You know, I, I, as a kid, I was like, man, my, my dad is always freaking stressed. My dad's always pissed off. As an adult, again, we're talking about how we build empathy. Looking back on now, the, I know why the man, because he was a grown-ass man with pride that he went from this to now he was pushing boxes, literally pushing boxes in this warehouse. Hmm. He had an MBA from, from Loyola University in uh, Chicago that he came here in the 70s and got busted his ass, did everything he could. He was so young, like shooting up. He was literally shooting up like a rocket in Iran and came here to do that. But also looking back now is the people that I grew up with in my neighborhood never even had that opportunity that I had. They never even knew what it was like to live upper middle class. At least for the first six years of my life, I was living upper middle class. Hmm. And I was meeting a lot of folks who had never had that privilege. So even then I was still more, I had a certain type of privilege because as a kid, I just knew that my family is going through a lot and they were very stressed. My mom had never had a job before in her life. Now she had to start working. Um, they're only humans. They, there's only mm. so much they can keep from their children. So there was always a lot of tension and stress when I was growing up in my household. Um, especially in the beginning, the first several years we were here. Your dad has become something of a role model for you, partly because, or I guess both your parents, but uh, you've told me about your dad, partly because he uh, built from scratch and and then found success again after many years of, of determination, right? Absolutely. He, you know, it's not just because he's my dad. He truly, truly is a, an American success story. Literally, the company that he was pushing boxes in their warehouse. Um, I don't know why I keep seeing pushing boxes. He wasn't put, nobody pushes boxes in the warehouse, but you know what I mean? Like he was right, right. doing inventory in a warehouse, and that's literally all he would do. Right. Ten years later, he was the, C, the CFO of that company for like 25 years and then recently retired. And now, you know. He has, he has nothing to worry about ever again financially. I mean, he put in the work and he made all the right decisions for him and our uh, my family financially. So, like, I have a huge amount of admiration for that. Yeah. You know, that's the same type of lofty work ethic that I try to take with me in my industry. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, yeah. l look at what your dad did and now look at what you're doing. No, yeah, yeah. It's like now look what I did, and I'm a disgrace. No, but no, it, I'm, ki I'm, ki I'm kidding. No, no, I'm totally no. Yeah, I, yeah, I you know it. I'm no, kidding. I, it's kind of like it's just so different, and it's like I again had the then sort of privilege of not having to start from the ground up because yes. 
you know my yes. parents kind of did that, that for that, me that's what they that's why i got my dad's name tattooed on my arm here and the reason is exactly that because they were were pioneers that came here only with the intention of creating the conditions where we would have an opportunity and that that is how can we and that will never exist again i mean in terms of the world has changed so much that you know the, at the time when our parents came here you know your dad couldn't get on facetime with with you know the family back in iran <laughs> like it was right. like you're cutting off you know your family you're cutting everything off and you're you're going to the new world in some like old school kind of way i i, I will always have respect for people like your dad and your parents uh, yeah likewise and for yours too my brother I, I i can't even imagine what it took to what strength it took to do that that, that nothing in life i think very few things in life can be harder than something like that you said you didn't really hang out with a lot of iranians until like the end of high school what was there yeah. a reason for that i, I mean the, the schools i was going to and the environment was that i just didn't meet a lot of them i, uh. I then when i for in uh, like ninth grade i met a couple of Iranian dudes and uh what I liked was that they were American like me but they were also Iranian like we there was a shared cultural experience there and that was cool and then that's when I started to get to know more Iranians but um for the majority of my life growing up and even now as an adult um I I don't really have a lot of I don't have a, a ton of Iranian acquaintances mm -hmm. to be honest not because of my choice it's just kind of how it is i guess can i can i ask you about the i mean I, if this is something that's weird or sensitive you, you don't have to answer or what but no, no, but no. i, I want to ask you about the payam and peter thing because a, a lot of us struggle with whether we should change or anglicize our names when we come to the west i mean it's something i always felt conflicted by since Gion was you know, no party for white white people to say back in the eighties <laughs> and nineties when I was no coming party. up. But but I mean, how did you make that decision to to start using Peter as well? You know, I I, I that decision I made in like pretty much end of elementary. I was just really really sick of having to keep pronouncing my name to teachers. Goes back to not wanting to stand out. You know, like mm -hmm. roll first. You know, substitute. Let's say comes in its roll call. It's like you know. John Smith and Ashley Johnson and Payam Ban. I was just so sick of it, and I, it was. And they don't know, and they don't know what to expect. Are you a little girl? Are you a boy? What is a Payam? Yeah, exactly. And this is like the '90s, early '90s. People didn't give a shit. Nobody. They weren't <laughs> sensitive to like. Oh, let me try to pronounce this name right. You know, like Payam. <laughs> like here, okay, whatever. You know, like they didn't give a damn. So it, it just, I just didn't want to be different. When I first came in, I, I remember when, in some kids in elementary school, I tell them I'm from like France and like, just like, I would just say any nonsense to make me not sound like I'm from this country called Iran, who their parents have seen on the news, yeah. you know, for a dozen negative reasons. Yeah. I just was just sick of that. Has there ever been a time where you, you felt like you want to drop the Peter and go and go back to Pam or are you, or are you, you're really Peter now at this point? I don't know. That's a good question. I I, I don't know. You know, the thing is, I, I'm kind of both. You know, there is a huge, there is a group of people that just know me as a Peter, and then there is a group of people that know me as Payo. And at this point, it's kind of both my name. I'm sure that at some point, I will drop the Peter once I get to a place in my career where I think that won't cause any like confusion or anything like that. I I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. It's it's something that I kind of 
struggle with myself because at the time it made sense. And now, I mean, because I never legally changed my name to that, you know, so it's kind of like, what, who is even Peter Banifat? And, and so. maybe for the first time in our lifetimes, I, I, I mean, I don't know if this is true, but it may not be, it could be an asset to have a more interesting name at this point, you know? I mean, yeah. right today, 2021, just in the last year or two, I think I feel like there's been such a, a shift, you know, around accepting diversity or people, you know, or, or, or that, that who knows? I mean, maybe, uh, maybe they, it certainly wouldn't be a liability, I would think, you know, but. Absolutely uh, not. I mean, like when I first got into the industry, I, my goal was, I did not want to come in like as an like Iranian or Middle Eastern actor right. because I knew that I would have like maybe a couple of opportunities a year and that's to play a you know convenience store clerk or a terrorist <laughs> and I've played both. <laughs> so right. you know that that's that's the thing. So I was like okay I'm going to come in as this ethically ambiguous guy you have no clue where I'm from which would be good because you know, because I, I, in general, casting often does look at me as ethnically ambiguous. They don't consider me the quintessential Middle Eastern looking character, mm. to whatever that is in their in their mind. But if but, they say, uh, if they say, we want you to play a Hispanic guy, are you okay with that, or do you like worry about appropriation? No, I, I think I, I, I'm concerned with appropriation. I think we're way past that. I think that there are tons and tons of incredible. Uh, Latino Hispanic actors and that opportunity shouldn't be taken away from them. It should be given to them w just because, you know, I, I'm a fairly light skinned guy, you know, I j but just because I have darker features doesn't mean I should be able to play this character mm -hmm. that appropriates an entire group of, of people who are readily available to, to, to work. So right. I, I, that, and I wouldn't want someone to do that to, to me either. You know, I, I wouldn't someone to be cast as an Iranian who's not an Iranian, I, I would just find that at this stage where we are in our society, I think it's it's inappropriate and I, it's irresponsible. Two, two words, Jake Gyllenhaal. I, uh, <laughs> you you could have been the Prince of Persia. <laughs> they gave it to Jake. Good guy. I'm not saying you know he's not a great uh, actor, but I ho I do hope that that has changed at this point uh, because it's it's certainly time. I mean, there's been films that were made pretty recently, some of which even might have gotten an Oscar with Iranians played by non-Iranians in it. So it's something we I guess still struggle with. Um, it's interesting when you say ethnically ambiguous. So you intentionally. You're, what does that mean? That means that I'm going to play someone that isn't white, but I don't need to explain what this person is. I guess ethnic ambiguous is like, hey, I'm going to, whoever you bring me in for, I'll play. If you think I match that person, I'll play. I mean, this is especially when I was getting into the industry beginning. I, I would, would have done any role, you know? I, I didn't know any better. I was desperate. You know, I was hungry. I was desperate. It, it's just pretty much for me, ethnically ambiguous was was like anything you think I can pass for, mm. I'm willing to pass for. Now, luckily, we're at a different place where it's like casting and, and it's, you know, networks and studios, they want to see those diverse characters. They want to see those diverse roles. Oh, not always for the right reasons, but hey, they want to see them. I was going to ask you about um, Shameless in a few minutes, but I might as well ask you now. I mean, you've, you've scored a wide variety of roles that, about becoming a regular on a series, Shameless. I think it was three seasons you did it. Uh, must have mm -hmm. meant a lot to your career. It was also the character was Fad Haw. And I remember when I first saw that, and I, and I took some solace in that. I was like, oh, that's an Iranian name. That's Iranian. Uh, 
a were you was was that partly your doing to make the character, or, or were you cast as was the name of the character already Fat Hod? Uh, and and B, tell me about how much that being in that series and being a regular in a big series was a was a game changer for your career. Um, so the the character was named Fat Hod. Originally, the character was Arab. Um, and when they booked me and they asked me, are you Arab? And I, do you speak Arabic? And I was like, no, I speak Farsi. And so they basically then changed the character uh, to Iranian. Originally, the idea was that they were going to have this character that was fairly religious character, that, like, or, or he fully em- embraced his uh, Islamic uh, religion, Islamic roots. But I, yeah, originally that character was not so meant to be Iranian, but uh, it became Iranian because they cast me. Okay. And and how big a deal was that for your career being in Shameless? Well, it was great. It, it was it, it was a fantastic show. John Wells, the executive producer, I mean, he's literally a living legend in the business and he was very kind to me, very supportive. Working with him was incredible. You know, being on a on a Emmy award winning, Emmy nominated show on on Showtime, all these things definitely really helped and then just having an opportunity to be on three seasons of it definitely it was a great stepping stone in the right direction for me how how does it work peter is there a is there a critical mass or something where where you get to a point where i don't know if casting directors or agents or something know you i mean you've literally done the circuit when it comes to very popular comedic tv show you you were in veep you were in silicon valley you were in brooklyn 99 you were on mom like is that because you've just become familiar to the people who cast those kind of shows and and they know to go to you uh, i mean besides your your talent of course i don't want to take anything away from your talent but but uh it's it's amazing that you've been on you know that you've done this virtual tour of all these shows how, how do you see it happening thank you my brother i you know i i was lucky to get representation when i was able to get representation and because of that i was able to they you know my agents send me out for good shows and and you know, when you go in, it's just like anything else, you develop a reputation and, and just going to meeting with different casting directors and auditioning with different casting directors, you know, once they see your work and they become familiar with it, then next time they see your, you know, they, they, your name comes across their desk, you, they'll be much more liable to bring you in. And um, so it's just kind of like going in there, being professional, doing good work. And then hopefully just sort of developing a reputation in, in the industry amongst casting. I think that's very important for any young actor coming up is really you want casting in town to know you and you want to have a good reputation with them. And by that means you come on time, you're prepared, you're polite, you're professional. You come in, do your work, bye-bye. Mm. And then the next step uh, is building a reputation with you know, with showrunners and and producers around town, and how you do that is same thing. On set, you show up, you're prepared, you're professional, polite, do your work, go home. You know, and and that's pretty much like with any industry. You're still a pretty young guy. You're still, you, I think you're 39 now. What are you? 39. Yeah. 39. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I just want to take three steps back, and and you did an MBA, and I know, <laughs> I, I mean, I know family pressure had something to do with that, but. You've, you've long talked about the fact that you always knew you wanted to be a performer. You always knew you wanted to be an entertainer. You always were one in your family and amongst your friends. 
Uh, why go th- through with having to get an MBA when that could retard those early years of getting into pilot season or become, you know, getting casting directors to know you or becoming an actor and all that? Obviously, first and foremost, there was pressure from my family, mainly from my dad. And it wasn't pressure, hey, go to business school. It was like, have yourself a plan B, have yourself a plan B. In my mind, I couldn't afford to think of it as a plan B. And I still can't. I had to think of it as plan A, plan A1, A2, A3. Plan A or bust. Plan A or bust. I'm going to go for it. The only thing that's going to stop me is a bullet. I mean, I, I cannot think of it this way. But... I had to also appease my dad who was, you know, often would support me. I was living in his house. I had respect for him. I understood that what he said rationally made sense. And all that together, so I was, okay, let me go to grad school. I decided to pursue business. I I thought, okay, maybe I can at least use some of these business um, principles towards my career in the the film industry. Mm -hmm. But during that time, I was still fully embedded in my acting training. I was still going to my acting class once a week. Mm -hmm. I was like, there's no way I'm going to take a break from this. If anything, this is first, the academics is second. But in your your bio, you joke about not using your MBA. I mean, mean, does it ever come in handy? It comes in handy like because I understand financing, it comes in handy like when I, you know, was getting a loan for my condo or or when I'm like, you know, when I want to lease a car or if a friend needs help with some finance stuff, but that's it. Career-wise, you know, I also learned some management skills. You know, you learn some management skills. I think some of those probably help me in in terms of dealing with people when mm-hmm. it's in business and and when there's some type of potential conflict mm-hmm. could arise or whatnot. The the reason I ask is because. Mm-hmm. Um, we're the next generation. I mean, we're, 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 there's generations who are younger than us, but but the next generation, in other words, we're not our parents who we always make the joke, you know, doctor, engineer, and all that. And I, I want to know, I don't have kids yet. Do you? No. no. no so what would I say to a kid? Would I, would I say, I mean, am I going to adopt what's been passed on through the generations of just get your, you know, get a plan B? And the thing is, plan B it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean educate yourself you know it means a very specific thing it's code for you know maybe a handful of possible you know uh, uh, place ways you're supposed to go in, in other words I really still believe in a liberal arts education like I would always no matter you want to be a musician you want to be in the media you want to be an actor whatever still go to university you know read great works of literature think you know, learn critical thinking I mean those things are the tools I believe that everybody should have but the idea of a plan b meaning just become an engineer first or get your medical degree or get the mba i wonder about that so i mean if your son uh wants to become a comedian or an actor or a comedic actor would you say just get an mba first no no way what i would say is show me you love this show me the work show me the passion i'll support anything you do you want to be a stand-up comedian show me I want to see you at nights doing, you know, two in the morning doing like uh, open mics. I want to see you writing non-constantly. I want to see you constantly watching other comedians taking notes. Show me. Show me that you're passionate about this. I'll support whatever you do. I'll financially support you. I'll support you with my time, my heart, everything. And I, that's really what happened with my family at the end. It's like they were like, no, 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 no. And they're like, I got to a point where they couldn't deny it anymore. Mm-hmm. It got undeniable to them, 
And, you know, and that's what it is. But I, the way, way, like, you know, if my kids were like, hey, I want to be an actor too. I'm like, it's not, you're not going to do it off me. It has to be off you. Right. Show me the work, show me the passion, and I'll support whatever you do. What a fantastic answer. I, I, let, let's end off where we started with these uh, these videos you've been making during COVID. Uh, are you, I mean, these things are getting thousands of views in a, in a day, you know. Are, are you surprised by how these funny videos you've done about a, a son and a Persian dad have taken off on Instagram? I, I definitely am surprised. I, I think anybody who, when something kind of like gets even mildly popular, I think anybody's lying who says like, I knew this would happen. You never know what, you never know what audience is like. All I wanted to do was put something that I thought was funny so that other people could also see is like, hey, this guy is a culturally diverse actor who's doing something different and funny. Let me watch. And I, and I told you, like, I had never done an Iranian character before, really. I had never tried to like blend my comedic ability with like my culture. This was really the first time and the, the the love people have given me has been just really humbling. Well, full circle, brother, from the from the little kid in the bunker in Tehran to uh, a guy who's reaching out to his his people, the community around the world, who are uh, finding resonance in these accessible and funny videos. Thank you, brother. I really Nicely appreciate done. you saying that. Thank I, you. Brother. I have very much enjoyed this, and I and I hope we can do it again. Uh, in person in a post-COVID uh, moment because uh, absolutely, uh, I really look forward to that and I'm, I'm looking forward to all of what you're going to do creatively on TV and film and online uh, in, in the coming years and uh, thanks for making the time today. Oh, thank you, my brother. Thank you so much. That's a Danakon. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Khodafiz. Khodafiz. That's Peter Payom Boniface, an actor, a comedian who can be seen on various TV shows and films and a very popular Instagram channel exploring and satirizing Persian family culture. Peter Boniface joined us from Los Angeles today. Captain Reza Gruvishaya, fabulous key on microphones back on. Well, you guys could tell I enjoyed that. Yeah. I, I totally related to so much of what we were talking about. What what a what an interesting guy. What a great conversation. So much more than just a comedic actor yeah, uh, a or Instagram star. He's got uh, such perspective and and um, such a such an interesting insight into the life of a first-generation immigrant and, yeah. and um, so balanced, too, when he was talking about his parents uh, understanding, you know, where he's at at this point, what it's meant to be an actor, they've come to terms with it, all of that. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I was a fan from the beginning since I discovered Peter, and I have to say his skits, his comedic skits, got me through this pandemic, honestly. Oh, wow. Like, he brought so much laughter into my life. For anyone that hasn't checked out his videos, he is absolutely hilarious. Peter Boniface is your vaccine. He is my vaccine. <laughs> Yes. scene for you know joy and all that but this like this interview this is going to be the first guest we've ever we've had on that that likes Keon after <laughs> the show that feels like Keon likes them for, for the first time and, but anyway, I wanted to say his story surprised me. You know, he's a comedian and actor, so I was not expecting such a, like a deep emotional like journey mm -hmm. of like it just it made me realize 
everybody has a story like behind that you know c- comedian or actor or whatever there's this story this don't journey judge people of, by their funny right, instagram video. exactly Keon. yeah the whole like um immigrant story of how maybe you should stop judging reza now as well <laughs> <laughs> maybe just maybe yeah but the the whole immigrant story re- was beautiful how when he first arrived in the u.s um it was the minorities the the kids yes from different that's countries. something that i i loved him for saying because yeah. I, I it is was so much my experience and so few people have come on the show and talked about that that you, the solace that we find not just in being in a Persian community because mm-hmm. there was no Persian community when we first came here for me but mm-hmm. but other immigrants who are going through the same yeah. thing and and so uh, yeah I just thought for that sure. was a, a, a beautiful insight when he talks about the Koreans and Filipinos yeah, and El Salvadorians and the, he's in that community and because yeah. you go oh he moved to LA so he was with the Persians yeah. but he wasn't it's uh it's it's, it's very nice yes yeah. Captain Reza yes I love him. I love him. He's a funny guy. He's very talented. And kudos to him, man, for putting the work in and getting through all those horrible, horrible auditions. That I, because I know how it is. I, I, I've had that experience yeah. being an actor, being in the game, and it takes a toll on you, man. Like I, I, I quit. I did quit like mm-hmm. acting for a very, very long time because of that reason. That they, either they wanted to, they wanted me to be as. Uh, convenience clerk or uh, cab driver number five and I couldn't take it anymore do you I regret that I mean no not one bit because it worked out for me in a different way mm-hmm. I, I yeah. chose a different aspect of the business and it worked out but uh, and I do that and I do act now selectively but uh, but I wish I had the the courage that he does and the perseverance to stuck it out and now he's on a big show, shameless and 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 he's got a bright future ahead of him yeah I'm very proud yeah, of him very yeah. proud of him uh, you want to say anything before we get to it's all Persian to us? Uh, just one quick thing. Actually, it made me think that we usually speak about revolution as a uh, re- as a reason that uh, the immigration happened. A lot of immigration mm-hmm. happened, but mm-hmm. war. I mean, we forget yeah, about war. I think we have to talk more about war I I was three years old when uh, war ended so I don't have any uh, vivid memory but I have it in my uh, subconscious you know Mm. I have the PTSD of war in yes and so it's uh, yes for for most countries and people citizens of that country or people of that descent an eight-year war would be enough. <laughs> an eight-year war that cost a million lives would be enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the fact that this dovetails with a revolution and a change in culture and, uh, you know, I mean, it, yeah, it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. Uh, it's a very good point you make, Shia. Thank you for that. Um, a much better point than what Reza said. <laughs> he's, he's in a good mood today. Putting a he's got a spring in his step ever since he started reading that book about people dying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, uh, I, I read a book <laughs> about the world ending, and so when I saw the world is ending, I was happy because I am alive. not yet ending. <laughs> I read a book about a man who was eaten by alligator. <laughs> by Grandpa <laughs> Shaya. <laughs> <laughs> but <Wow>. I, <laughs> because I was not <laughs> eating. <laughs> Man, you better sit down before you fall. Down. Shia, I think you <laughs> need to drink more water. 
<laughs> okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> 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 Come on. I, I read a book about some oh <laughs> someone in hurricane. Hurricane. <laughs> 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 Hey, it's Thursday. (laughs) Yes. yes, You know what that means? (laughs) No idea. Please tell us. Uh, She's a dear friend, a diaspora blend, a gym workout cat, a bicultural brat, but lovable, smart, funny, and on a journey to discover what we actually discovered. Here we go, Bacho. I'm already anticipating the obvious. I don't want to throw to it. I don't want to throw to it. Reza, Reza, please. What will it take for you not to do it? It's all Persian to us with Kian Nadimi. All right, Kian, what do you have for us today in the It's All Persian to Us basket? Well, we're now well into the second year of a global pandemic. Lockdowns, masks, and Netflix has been the theme of what feels like eternity at this point. Yes. It's also a time of great appreciation for the field of medicine. Mm-hmm. We've come to realize just how important the medical advancements are in our society. Well, the rapid development of a vaccine, for example, is something that will be forever written down as the biggest, one of the biggest achievements during this time. We invented the vaccine. Well, no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> can't, so. claim, can't claim that one. <laughs> Pfizer is Persian. No, no, no. Well, this is also a time when doctors, nurses, scientists, and really all medical professionals will forever be remembered as the heroes of COVID-19. Yes. Well, in that case, we should be bowing down to the man responsible for the greatest medical contribution of all time. The man responsible for the very first canon of medicine his name was ibn sina or otherwise known as avicina in the western world canon of medicine yes it's basically it's an encyclopedia of medical like all medical knowledge yeah so this man revolutionized the field of medicine and forever changed the trajectory of the world Without him, Europe would probably still be in the Dark Ages. Well, just kidding, kind of. Avicina. Not really. <laughs> yes, Avicina, that's Avicina. his name. Avicina. Yeah. Did you know this man, uh, Shai? Did you learn of this course. in uh, grade of school? Co- yeah, of course, Ebnesina. Oh, Ed, Edmesina? Ebnesina. But in the West, he's known as Avicina. That was kind oh. of like his uh, Latin name. But yeah. in, in Iran, he's known as Ebenezer. Ebenezer Sina. Ebenezer Yes. Oh, interesting. Yes. So, so like I mentioned. Did you know him, Reza? Yeah, of course. Oh. We studied at, uh, at elementary school. Okay. Yeah. So the canon of medicine, like I said, was the first encyclopedia of uh, all medical you know, information compiled into five textbooks with an overview of all the knowledge he, that was gathered over time. And this was, you know, including all of... Um, Indian medicine and uh, Greek medicine, Persian medicine. So he compiled everything into five, uh, basically, encyclopedia books of medicine. Like a canon of medicine. Exactly, like a canon of medicine, Mm -hmm. Xi'an, yes. So these are known as the most famous books in the history of medicine, which were completed in the year 1025. Um, so this basically set the standard for all, um, all of medicine and remained a medical authority around the world for centuries. So it's even referenced in medical schools today, actually. 
Um, and uh, what else can I say? Yes. So uh, yeah, actually, Canon is uh, the the name of book in Persian. Also, is Qanun. 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 Ah, so that's where that word comes Qanun from. Qanun is not Qanun uh, canon. rule. Yeah. Qanun, yeah. Yeah, canon. Yeah, but canon doesn't mean rule. Yeah, but I, I, I know, but probably the one who wants to translate it, he probably saliqe bekhrjd. Maybe. Maybe it's a different canon. How is it spelled? Canon? Well, can, canon means like a you, when you're talking about a, a bunch of materials related to a subject, you'd say like um, the canon of, of uh, you know, sports authority can be found mm. in this in these encyclopedias, or you could say. Uh, the canon of Farid Zalan's music, but mm -hmm. so, um, but I don't think it means rules. But yeah, uh, mm. yeah but the title of the book. But Qanun and canon sound similar. Yes. So yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess that's where, it's, where it must be where it came from, right? So this text was produced during a time that was known as the Islamic Golden Age of Discovery, which ranged from the eighth century to the thirteenth century. But listen, if it were up to me, it should be called the Persian Golden Age of Discovery because, well, the majority of the discoveries were made by Persian scholars. Avicenna, Razi, Khwarazmi, Farabi, Hayyan, just to name a few of the very, very long list of this. You know this, Shai, of yes. course. But they, were, they, were they not Muslims? Yes, they were, but the thing is, they were all Persian. Like, majority of them were Persian, so oh. it just kind of, I don't know, this is a personal thing for me. It kind of irritates me that it's, it's not Even known as Even if they were the Muslims. Fair, fine, but at the same time, this was a time that the Arabs ruled over Persia, so a lot of what was, you know, going on was mm -hmm. they were kind of trying you to wanna, eliminate you the differentiate culture. That these are Persians, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but well, that's, that's one my of own the other reasons that the book written in Arabic, you know, is but that's because they yeah. enforced that, you know. So it's it's controversial. That was the language of the science at that time, you know. Arab, yeah. yeah, I mean, anyway, <laughs> anyway, moving on. So no, I no, it wasn't Shia. <laughs> no, it wasn't Shia. Yeah. <laughs> so this. <laughs> anyway, uh, this was a time when mass. I'm setting key on about things we'll that take happened it a thousand later. years ago. <laughs> but actual things that happened and are true. This is good for yeah. Clubhouse tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. So this was a time when massive discoveries were being made in the fields of science, math, astronomy, economics, culture, and of course, medicine. So I'm talking about medical advancements that were way ahead of their time. And these were all made accessible by the work of Ibn Sina or Avicenna. So he took a holistic view of medicine where physical and psychological factors as well as drugs and diet were all combined in treating patients. This was, you know, the f they weren't doing that at, at that time. They were basically, I, I suppose, doing trial and error, like, oh, let's try this and see what happens and patient dies. Right. So basically he was compiling, you know, books Qanuns. of like Qanuns, <laughs> yeah, yeah precisely. Yeah, so uh, this is when medicine started to be treated as a true science with emphasis on empirical evidence and repeatable procedures. Uh, so essentially, he created a body of knowledge that was massively important, making the canon of medicine a medical Bible for centuries to come. Mm. And so, in a world when health is wealth, I raise my glass to Avicenna, the great Persian scholar, a true pioneer in the field of medicine who single-handedly saved thousands, if not millions, of lives around the world through the first canon of medicine. My friends, it's all Persian to us. Nicely done. Did you know about this, Gian? I did not know about that. You didn't. That. I did not. I did. I. I neither know Avicenna or Ebenezer. <laughs> you didn't know Avicenna? I don't know. Really? Really? I mean, I know. You've heard of him. I know probably. the name. In fact, the name came up recently. 
But no, I, I did not. Uh, this sounds vaguely familiar, mm. but uh, it's hard for me to distinguish all the things that we claim that we. <laughs> so this one I, I, I do understand is legitimate, but no, I. I You're uh, saying the other ones are not legitimate? There are some that I know are not, yes. <laughs> I, I we invented the Toyota. That's not. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say <laughs> I have a question for Shia, actually. Ebne Sina means yes. son of Sina. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. that's right. It's, it's funny to me because that, like, in English, they change that to Avis. To make it more pronounceable. His name wasn't Ebne. Ebne Sina means the son of Oh, his Sina. name was Sina. Well, so his father's uh, name was yeah. Sina. Oh. And then yeah. he referred to him. I don't know how naming worked back Sina. then. They were all, oh. they, like, uh, Razi has, like, a longer name, Ebne. Name than well, What's your thing. dad's name? It's Khosro. Well, <laughs> you're, you're Ebne Khosro. <laughs> no, she no, would I'm be Bente Khosro. Bent, bent means daughter. Bente Khosro? Bente yeah, Bente's daughter. I've always thought she was a bit Bente Khosro. You know what? Ibna, I don't know who. Ibna Farhag. Oh, your dad's name is Farhag. Yeah, yeah, it would be Ibna Farhag. Bentechosro. That's definitely my new day for you. Try that and see what happens. What do you think of Kia? Well, she's a little bit Bentechosro, to be honest. She's a bit bent in the head, isn't she? All right. Well, that very interesting. Thank you, Kian, and the the canon of medicine. Yeah. Added to the list of things that uh, uh, were legitimately, you see, there's a lot of debates about these things. But when Keon <laughs> certifies these things yeah, as this is it. certified, this is the Keon, authority. With the Persians have discovered these things. Stamp of Keon approval. Exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you to the fabulous Keon. Thank you, Groovy Shia. Thank you, Captain Reza. The on-air Rook team. This is full time for Rook for today. Listen, if you're a fan of this show, and Let's face it, if you've made it this far into this episode, <laughs> you're a fan of the show, go to our website, rookmedia.com. And if you're not already a patron, try and keep us alive with a 5 or $10 contribution. It's really not that big a deal, 5 bucks a month, but it really helps us out. So rookmedia.com, support us is the button. And uh, it's very simple. Just put your information in there and become a patron. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Producer Susan, Ponce of the Artist, Thoughtful Degin, the fabulous Keon Savvy, Roham, Ahaimertad, Master Muhammad, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shia. Thank you to all of you out there supporting our, us and sharing our content. Find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. Mizun Mashi. 